0: Yo, welcome in, welcome in. It's your boy, Chat Money, aka the Fantasy Genie here. First ever episode of number one fantasy football, NFL-related podcast, The Fantasy Genies, and yeah, today's first ever episode. It's gonna be a jam-packed one, man. We're gonna be recapping all six Super Wild Card games, looking at some of the fancy implications for the losing teams next year. And then we're gonna be previewing the four divisional matchups. Should be a fun one, man. So yeah, let's get right into it, man. All right, let's kick things off with our first Super Wildcard matchup, the Buffalo Bills at home versus the Indianapolis Colts. This is a pretty great game that really came down to the wire. No one really expected the Colts to be able to keep up with the Red Hot Bills, but it did for most of the game. Let's take a look at some of the Colts' offensive players and how they performed. Start with P. Rivers, Phillip Rivers, 27 for 46, 309 yards, and two tutties. Also had a two-point conversion as well. Played a pretty good final game, as we all expect him to retire after this season. He did miss Michael Pittman by inches earlier in the game on a wide-open touchdown, but for his 39-year-old body, P. Rivers, had a very solid performance. Now, because he's going to retire this season for sure, a big question coming into the offseason will be, who's going to be the Colts quarterback? Will it be Jacoby Brissett, Jacob Eason, potentially Carson Wentz reuniting with his old offensive coordinator in Philadelphia, Frank Reich, but that's a topic for a later episode. If you did play Phillip in your DFS games, though, you were pretty happy with his performance, 23.4 fantasy points, so you did reach the upside that you wanted in this potential shootout matchup. Moving on to Jonathan Taylor, who just completely emerged as a workhorse star running back of the Colts offense after the Week 7 bye week. He finished third in the NFL for total rushing yards during the regular season and had 11 rushing touchdowns as well and finished as the RB6 in fantasy. Against the Bills, Taylor had a very firm stat line. He rushed for 21 times for 78 yards and a touchdown, continuing that workhorse role of his. Also had two catches for six yards on four targets. Uh, This performance was obviously nowhere near the crazy performances that JT had put up during the fantasy playoffs when he was indeed a league winner. But regardless, he did return solid value for everyone, plugged him in DFS, and he finished with 16.4 fantasy points. For next season, Taylor should be a great late first round or early second round pick and should continue his workhorse role in this Colts offense. Of course, Naeem Hines will also be his 1B against the Bills, Hines, he had 6 rushes but for 75 yards and also 1 catch for 8 yards. He only had 3 targets though which was really kind of weird considering that he normally gets 5 to 8 targets per game and I was expecting him uh, to possibly even break double digit targets just due to the expected game log which was the Colts being behind the Bills and making short checkdowns to Heinz. But I guess Phillip Rivers just completely destroyed that prediction. As for next season though, Hines is still a running back I am looking to draft especially in PPR leagues just due to his target volume it's hard to find backs like that backs like him jd mckissick chase edmonds who can step in and potentially deliver rb1 value if the starting running back goes down as you've seen in washington when gibson went down mckissick did deliver rb1 type value and when Kenyon drake went down arizona chase edmonds also delivered uh pretty solid low end rb1 uh, performances as well heinz is a better bass catcher than Taylor and I do believe that he is worth a pick in round 10 slash 11. Also keep in mind that Marlon Mack who went down week one with an Achilles injury is also a free agent and he is expected uh, to get traded. Next up let's take a quick look at the wide receiving core Michael Pittman who was a value play this week in DFS had a pretty solid game got five of his 10 targets for 90 yards and also had a 11 yard rush so he had 15.1 fantasy points in total. Obviously, during the regular season, second-round pick out of USC was sidelined for four games because of his lower leg injury and never really sustained a huge role in the offense and never really emerged as that number one option for Phillip Rivers because of Jonathan Taylor and also some Naeem Hines in there. He only topped one just scrimmage yards once during the entire season, and that was against a horrible defense in Tennessee. But for next season, I think things will be on the bright side for Pittman, I do really think he has the talent to emerge as a true number one passing option of this Colts offense. He's definitely worthy of a round 9 slash 10 pick, which is most likely where he'll fall. You might even be able to get him in round 11. And that's where you should definitely try to be taking Pittman because you got to take his upside. Other than Pittman, though, T.Y. Hilton, he had a horrible game. You no, know, it was kind of expected because he was getting shadowed by uh, pro bowler Davis White. And yeah, he only managed 32 yards on two catches. Zach Pascal had three catches for 37 yards and one of those catches was a touchdown. But I don't think anyone really started Hilton or Pascal in DFS because they were just extremely risky plays. There's also this very big controversial call towards the last minute of the game on whether Zach Pascal had been ruled down or if he had fumbled the ball. I thought he fumbled the ball, but of course, the refs being the NFL refs, just rolled him down. But yeah, for 2021 Hilton, he will be a free agent. So it'll be interesting to see which team he goes to. Zach Pascoe figures to be the number one two receiver in any next to Pittman. But I don't think Hilton or Pascoe are players that you should really be targeting in fantasy football drafts. The wide receivers weren't really the true story of this in offense, though. As Jack Doyle, the tight end, had a monster performance after having his regular season pretty much faded away due to injury and just the lack of target volume. He really stepped up against the Buffalo Bills. He had seven catches on nine targets for 70 yards, plus a touchdown finishing with 20 fantasy points. He was a very risky play, but I do know some people who did um, put him in their DFS lineups, and he did manage to return a really solid performance for those. So, big up to them. As to 2021, I don't think any of the Titans on the Colts will be appealing because all three current Titans on the roster Jack Doyle, Molly Cox, and Trey Burton will all be free agents. So it'll really be interesting to see who will be the starting tight end for next season. And it's definitely something that fantasy players should be monitoring. Because you know that if, there's, if they only bring just one tight end, they're pretty much guaranteed uh, like five to six targets per game. So that will account to some great fantasy production, especially in PPR, of course. The Colts DST, they had another mediocre performance against the Bills. They only came up with two sacks and one forced fumble. I do want to say, though, that uh, Dinico Autry, the defensive end for the Colts, has really emerged as a true stud for this D-line, and I am really excited about his future. Obviously, you know they have all-pro Darius Leonard at the linebacking position, and, of course, Justin Houston as well, but De Nico Autry, he's just really had a year for himself here. Yeah, Darius Leonard, he just continued to do his Darius Leonard stuff with his 12 tackles, but overall, this Colts defense was held in check pretty much because of, you know, Josh Allen, the MVP candidate. As for fantasy, the Colts will be one of the first defenses off the board for sure. But I still, every year, like in my drafts, I never take a defense within the first 14 rounds. I've just never done that, and it just never works out. The Colts did finish as a third DSD in fantasy, and they were coming into season as the ADP 7-ranked uh, defense. But I don't expect them to crack top 5 again next season. They really need to find some better cornerbacks and some safeties this offseason. All right, All yeah, let's quickly take a look at the Buffalo Bills performance against the Colts. Josh Allen continued his stud MVP campaign season with 26 of 35 passes for 324 yards, two passing TDs, and 11 carries for 54 yards and one rushing TD. He finished the game with 35.6 fantasy points. So for those who use them in DFS, you are feeling like you are in heaven right now. Of course, Josh Allen will be a top tier play next week against the Ravens. His upside is just enormous. And along with that rushing floor of his, That's just an absolute fantasy football stud right there for you. For the running backs, Zach Moss exited the game with an ankle injury during the fourth quarter, and he is expected to miss the rest of the postseason according to Schefter, so that'll make Devin Singletary an interesting option in DFS and cash games. Against the Colts, Singletary only had six touches, but that's because of Zach Moss's early involvement throughout the whole game and the fact that the Bills just passed a whole lot. But we've seen what Devin Singletary can do without Moss during the regular season, in fact, Singletary was actually a very solid RB2 without Moss during the regular season. Against the Los Angeles Rams, he had 16.1 fantasy points. Against the Raiders, he had 18.7 fantasy points. So Singletary is definitely worth an RB2 play at minimum and should be kind of cheap in DraftKings and FanDuel. Moving on to the wide receivers. Receiving title recipient Stefan Diggs just continues his massive 2020 campaign. He had six catches on nine targets for 128 yards and a touchdown. He had 24.8 fantasy points. He got off to a little bit of a slow start, but he just heated up in the second half. He'll once again be a top-tier receiver play next week, even though he'll be shadowed by Baltimore Ravens all-pro cornerback Marlon Humphrey. John Brown, he had a goose egg performance, and I would not recommend him next week at all. He'll also be shadowed by Marcus Peters, so that just doesn't add to his appeal. Second-team all-pro slot receiver Cole Beasley, he's dealing with a bit of a knee injury coming into the game, and he actually was a true game-time decision, He still kind of delivered for fantasy players. He caught all of his seven targets for 57 yards, and he ended up with 12.7 fantasy points. But next week, he'll most likely be matched up with Jimmy Smith or Anthony Everett, which isn't a very tough matchup. So you can definitely plug in Beasley kind of as a value play in the receiver three or flex slot. Gabriel Davis also caught all of his four targets for 85 yards and he also had two amazing toe drag swag catches on both sidelines and I'll recommend him as a solid receiver through flex option for DFS and there's always the chance of him catching a deep touchdown so it's kind of a high risk and high reward play tight Dawson Knox caught two catches for five yards but one of them was a touchdown so yeah you can definitely uh, use him in DFS but um it's kind of risky as well just because you know you have that chance of him getting that resume target from Allen but You know, he could also just throw the ball to Lee Smith or just Stephon Diggs or just run it in himself. There are also um, other Titans out there who I would definitely take over Dawson Knox 100%, like, of course, Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews. Um, But yeah, Knox is a pretty cheap option who can definitely catch a touchdown against the Ravens. So you can definitely plug him in if you're trying to stack on other areas like receiver or running back this week. Moving on to the next matchup, Los Angeles Rams at the Seattle Seahawks. Coming into this game, I was expecting kind of like a more low-scoring game, a closer game, just because both offenses like, they couldn't really get anything done before this game. You know, Seattle was struggling offensively, and obviously the Rams have been struggling offensively the whole season. Their defense has been a reason why they have been in games. Um, Yeah, Russell Wilson's cooking campaign, that has officially ended, and that has officially been canceled. I don't think anyone really played Wilson in fantasy this week, just because he had been doing horrible uh, since the second half of the regular season. In fact, from weeks 10 to 17, Russell Wilson was the QB12, which is borderline QB1 territory. Quarterbacks like Derek Carr, Kurt Cousins finished above him, and that's just not something you want us to be seeing in fantasy, particularly from someone who was drafted as high as the fifth round in some leagues. You're having quarterbacks... Who have been picked up on the waiver wire, who aren't even drafted in some leagues, outscoring a quarterback taken as high as the fifth round. Just imagine that. Anyways, against the Rams during the regular season, Wilson was the quarterback 19 and quarterback 14, and that's not good at all, especially for his standards. In this wildcard game, Wilson threw 27 times but only completed 11 passes for 174 yards. That's below 50% completion rate. That is absolutely atrocious. He threw two touchdowns, both to DK Metcalf and one costly pick six that really swung the momentum in LA's favor. He also rushed four times for 50 yards, but you really just can't blame it all on Russ. Uh, since the Seattle O-line, they have been really crappy, especially since the whole second half of the season. And they allowed Russ to get pressured on 13 of his 24 dropbacks and got him sacked five times. But that interception though, that was just a horrible read by Russ. He did not even see Darius Williams creeping up on DK Metcalf on that uh, screen pass design. Just a quick little statistic here, Darius Williams has picked off Wilson three times this season. He was also the only player this season to intercept a screen pass. When Wilson has targeted Darius Williams this season, he has had a pass rating of 26.5. My grandma could have had a better pass rating than that. Regardless, going to next season, Wilson should still be a mid-tier QB1 that is worth taking in the 8th or ninth round. I do actually expect him to uh, fall that far, so that could really be a value pick for you if you want to just... You know, go hard on your receivers and running back picks. Running back Chris Carson, he had another mediocre performance and couldn't even crack double-digit fantasy points. He rushed 16 times for 77 yards and caught a pass for 5 yards. This year was just very disappointing for Carson. Like Russell Wilson, he started out the season hot, and through weeks 1 through 5, he was the RB5, averaging 20 points. Then he was struggling with some injuries to his knee and foot, and when he came back in week 9, the rest of the season, he was the RB26, averaging 13.8 points per game. Chris Carson is actually a free agent this season, so his fantasy outlook will be totally dependent as to which team he plays for, but for now, I see him being a borderline RB1 who should receive solid volume regardless of the team he plays for. If he resigns of Seattle, he'll still be a borderline RB1, but let's say he goes to a team such as, I don't know, the Chiefs, and yeah, he's not going to be an RB1 with the Chiefs because the Chiefs, you know, they pass the ball a whole ton. Carson has always had the talent... He's a strong power back that can really make those cuts and burst free at any time, but the injury bug just has always gotten to him. If he can just stay healthy for one year, watch out for Chris Carson. He can probably even become a top five back, just like he was from weeks one to five when he was not injured. And I think you could definitely snag him as late as probably round five or even six next year in 12 team leagues. Looking at the wide receivers here, I'm only gonna talk about Metcalf and Lockett just cause they're like the fantasy relevant ones. Like everyone in Seattle, Metcalf also regressed through the second half of the season. Looks like human Batman is human after all. From weeks 1 to 9, Metcalf was actually on fire. He was Batman. He was Seattle's superhero. He was a wide receiver 3 fantasy behind Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams. And that is some very good company right there. But then, Russ just stopped cooking. And that effect just lingered onto Metcalf. From weeks 10 to 17, he was a receiver 23. And most importantly, against the Rams, Metcalf just sucked. And he just... Completely disappeared pretty much from this offense. Jalen Ramsey is Metcalf's kryptonite. Metcalf scored 4.8 points in their first meeting and 11.9 the second time. Those performances are nowhere near the receiver one territory that Metcalf is supposed to be in. I found this really cool statistic here from Next Gen Stats. So when Ramsey shadowed Metcalf on 69% of his routes, he limited him to three receptions for 33 yards on seven targets. And the only reason why Metcalf had a good fantasy performance against the Rams in the wildcard was uh, because on the other 31% of his routes, you know, he didn't have Ramsey on him, and he broke free. Metcalf caught uh, 5 of his uh, 11 targets for 96 yards and 2 tutties. If you saw that 51-yard touchdown, the Rams just lost him in coverage. And most importantly, though, Ramsey was not on him. Ramsey was on Tyler Lockett during that play. Regardless, if you did use DK in DFS, you were very happy and kind of astonished at that final stat line just considering he just hadn't been good against the Rams uh, like, throughout his whole playing career so far. Looking in 2021, DK will be one of the top wideouts again and should be taken within the second or third round. Tyler Lockett. This guy is just the definition of hyped up. Through weeks one through seven, Lockett, he was also heating up just like Metcalf. In fact, he was the receiver two, the number two receiver on the season. Only DeAndre Hopkins was above him. Remember that 53-point fantasy performance he put together in Week 7? But like all good things, they just come to an end. Through the next 10 weeks, Lockett was the receiver 24. Again, like Metcalf, he went from a top-tier receiver 1, must-start player to a borderline receiver 2. And people even dropped him in leagues during the fantasy playoffs. The really only notable performance he really put together during that time was uh, during the Thursday Night Football Week 11 matchup against Arizona, which was a team that he has just dominated throughout his career. But other than that... Nothing was really notable, and of course, unless your league plays for Week 17 when Lockett had 33 fantasy points in a meaningless game, yeah, there's really nothing else to be excited about uh, in the second half of the season uh, on Lockett. Against the Rams, Lockett caught two of his four targets for 43 yards, and that is trash. Try Looking at his 2021 fantasy outlook, Lockett should be a mid-tier receiver 2 that should be drafted in round 6 or 7, and possibly even fall to round 8. But he is not someone who I would be hyped about drafting. I'm taking receivers like T. Higgins, C. D. Lamb, DJ Moore over Lockett. This Seattle defense has actually played really good during the second half of the season. Unlike their offense. From weeks 12 to 17, they were tied for the DSD 5 in fantasy football. Jamal Adams signing, that seemed to be paying off. Jamal Adams ended up leading the team with 9.5 sacks. But of course, Jamal Adams really bit them in the butt during the wildcard game and he played absolutely horrible, not to mention he also injured John Wolford on that brutal hit, but he also missed an easy interception that ended up being a wonderful contested catch by Cooper Cup. Oh, and he also tore his labrum. Remember when Adams was smoking cigars after the week 16 dub against the Rams? Well, Karma is a biatch. What's up biatch? Oh my god! Looking at the offseason for this defense, they will have some key players like KJ Wright, Bruce Irvin, who uh, had a season ending ACL tier, Quinton Dunbar, the Griffin brothers, who will be on the market. So their defense will need to rebuild through the draft, or John Schneider will need to bring in some replacements. Because I have a feeling this Seattle defense will end up being 31st and pass defense again. Next year in fantasy, the Seahawks will probably be ranked as a top 10 DST, but just like all DSTs, never ever take them until the last two rounds. And the Seahawks, they probably won't be a top 10 defense at the end of next season either way. The Los Angeles Rams played their heart out in this game. They were the first team to beat Russell Wilson and the Hawks at home during the playoffs. After losing John Wolford early on a brutal hit by Jamal Adams, Jared Goff, who had three pins inserted in his broken thumb that he had suffered about two weeks ago, stepped in. He didn't really have a hell of a performance as he only completed nine out of his 19 attempts for 155 yards, but he did throw a touchdown, and most importantly, he did not turn the ball over. In the regular season, Goff had the fifth most interceptions. Going to next week though, Goff should not be a Raider against the Packers in fantasy. Running back Cam Akers had one of the most historic playoff debuts ever. The Florida State product absolutely one-off. He took on a workhorse role completely and rushed 28 times for 131 yards and a touchdown and also caught two passes 45 yards. He had 25.6 fantasy points. Akers' 176 yards from scrimmage became the second most ever scrimmage yards by a rookie in his single playoff game, putting him in history books. Next week against Green Bay, Akers should be considered an RB1 with tremendous upside against the poorest Green Bay run defense that just continues to feed fantasy points to running backs. Moving on to wide receivers, Robert Woods salvaged his fantasy day with a touchdown. He got four of his eight targets for 48 yards, and of course, the touchdown. Next week against the Packs, he'll most likely have shadow specialist Jared Alexander on him, who is rated the number one cornerback on PFF. In case you don't know, Alexander is very good. In fact, he's so good that the All-Pro team snubbed him. Woods will be a mid to low end receiver too who should receive target volume but who knows how many yards he'll end up getting from those targets. My prediction? Not a lot. Cooper Cup also had a mediocre fantasy performance. He got 4 of his 9 targets for 78 yards and left the game late in the 4th quarter with a knee injury. Luckily, he avoided a serious knee injury and is listed as day to day. Against the Packers, he'll be lined up against Kevin King who hasn't been that good as of recently. Cup definitely has a better matchup over Woods and I would take him over Woods in DFS if you were to play one of the two Rams receivers in fantasy. Cup should be a mid-tier receiver too who has a high floor but capped upside just because the Packers have been absolutely dominant against the deep ball, which Cup thrives in. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Washington football team, the Washington football team were somehow in this game until Brady pulled away, and they were in the game because of one man named Taylor Heineken, Taylor Heineken as I like to call him. No Alex Smith meant the Washington football team had to turn to their emergency QB, their 4th string QB at the start of the season who ended up having an unforgettable performance. The undrafted Old Dominion product had one of the most memorable performances this year. He ended up completing 26 out of his 44 attempts for 306 yards, one passing touchdown, and through one interception, but also added on 46 rushing yards and a rushing TD, where he lunged for the pylon from the 9-yard line. He looked like Superman on that play for sure. Heineke ended up scoring 29.9 fantasy points, and he was one of the best value DFS plays coming into the wild card weekend, and it paid off for fantasy players who took a gamble on him. As for Heineke's future, well, I believe he has at least earned a contract in the NFL, whether that be him being the starter for Washington or backup for Washington or another team. Keep in mind that Kyle Allen may not be ready for week one next season, so Heineke could definitely be the starting QB for Washington. But next year, Heineke should be nothing more than a high-end streaming option, regardless of what team he's going to, just because we've seen some kind of rushing floor with him. Looking at the running backs, Antonio Gibson once again struggled. Gibson has not been productive coming off his toe injury, which was still present in his body throughout the week. The RB13 in the regular season had 14 carries, but only for 31 yards against his dominant stout Tampa Bay rush defense. He also caught two balls, but only for four yards and ended up with 5.5 fantasy points being a major bust this week. But for 2021, Gibson should be a hyped second year player and is expected to be a late third round or high fourth round pick. An increased role can definitely happen for Gibson, and if he does get an increased role, he'll be a surefire RB1. To start of the season, he'll be high in RB2, and that's because of one man named JD McKissick. McKissick ended up stealing a lot of the targets from Gibson, and he ended up finishing as the RB17 during the regular season. In the Tampa Bay game, though, McKissick had 2 carries for 5 yards and a rushing touchdown. He didn't have an impressive passing stat line, as he only had 3 targets and caught 2 of them for 8 yards. Normally, McKissick gets anywhere from 8 to even 15 targets, and many thought that with the football team playing behind, he would receive even more dump-off passes, but that was not the case. Looking at his 2021 outlook, McKissick should be a target of many in PPR leagues, and it is rare to find running backs like him who have an impressive target share of the offense, and he is definitely worth grabbing in the 12th or 13th round. He will be a low-end RB2 in PPR and a mid-tier RB3 in other scoring formats. Alright, let's take a look at the receivers here. Stud Ohio State product Terry McLaurin brought in 6 of his 7 targets for 75 yards. McLaurin was battling an ankle injury during the second half of the season, and I do not believe he was 100% in any of those second-half season games. Regardless though, next year McLaurin should be a high-end receiver too, with a rock-solid 4, who should be drafted within the 4th or 5th round. I'm definitely taking McLaurin over receivers like Kenny Galladay, Robert Woods, and Amari Cooper, regardless of who is the Washington football team quarterback. Sometimes, you just gotta believe in the talent. Cam Sims also had a monster game as well. He was someone who has a great value play against his decaying Buck secondary, and that was definitely true. Sims caught 7 of his 13 targets for 104 yards, totaling 17.4 fantasy points. The Alabama product is a free agent in 2021, so you shouldn't really be on Fantasy Raiders until we see which team he signs with. Finishing as a tight end for Titan Logan Thomas ended his breakout 2020 campaign on an okay note, bringing in five of his nine targets for 74 yards. Going to next season, Thomas should be a great value pick that is projected to be picked from round 10 to 11. He has a massive floor and floor is king fantasy, especially for the tight end position. Thomas is a great red zone target and he can also sling the ball as well because remember, he was drafted in the league by the Cardinals as a quarterback. He's kind of like the Taysom Hill of the Washington football team in a way. Thomas should be a top eight tight end option next year. Let's quickly look at the Washington defense, who is absolutely amazing this year. In fact, the reason why Washington won so many games, seven games, I guess, that's good for NFC East team, was because of their defense, who is ranked the fourth best defense in the league, according to PFF. I mean, when your entire D-line is just first-round draft picks, that's definitely plausible that you would end up being a top defense. Chase Young is projected to be the Defensive Rookie of the Year. Washington, though, they do have some key players who are hitting the mark in this summer, especially on their defense, such as linebackers Ryan Kerrigan and Kevin Pierre-Louis, and cornerback Ronald Darby. Washington will have a lot of questions that need to be answered this offseason, particularly regarding the quarterback and defense. Will they be a top five defense next year? The GOAT, Tom Brady, definitely delivered for Tampa Bay ending a 13-year playoff drought for them. After a stellar 2020 season for the 43-year-old, where he threw for 40 passing touchdowns, Brady continued his dominance against a stout but beatable Washington defense. Brady threw 40 passes and completed 22 of them for 381 yards and 2 touchdowns. He ended up with 26.9 fantasy points, which was a great performance, especially against the top-caliber defense in Washington. Against the New Orleans Saints next week, Brady should be another top-tier play. Brady has completely caught fire over the second half of the season. We should just completely disregard his Sunday Night Football matchup and look at Brady's first game against the Saints, where he coincidentally wound up with 26.9 fantasy points. This game figures to be a shootout between two decaying secondaries, and Brady should probably throw the ball at least over 40 times. We know that Brady offers no rushing upside, but his passing volume is too much. Plus, he's time-ready to go, so he makes for one of the best QB plays this week. Running back Ronald Jones took one snap before leaving the game with a quad contusion, and he's most likely going to miss the divisional round against the Saints, making Leonard Fournette another interesting play. Against the football team, Fournette saw 19 carries and ran for 93 yards plus a touchdown and also caught four passes for 39 yards, scoring 23.2 fantasy points. That was against the number two ranked run defense in the NFL. Well, guess what? The Saints are the number one ranked run defense in the NFL, but you should trust volume here. Fournette is bound to flop his way into the end zone, and he should receive basically all the carries and stamps for running backs while also getting some targets from Brady. There's no way Bruce Arians is trusting Keyshawn Vaughn after he fumbled last week, and Lashawn McCoy is just too old. Fournette is basically a low-end RB1 play this week, and he should be a value play in DFS due to his current price listing. Fournette is a must-play this week. Listed is the only player in NFL history to have 7 consecutive seasons of 1,000-plus receiving yards, Wide receiver Mike Evans continued to add on to his great 2020 campaign with 6 catches on 10 targets for 119 yards against Washington, totaling 17.9 fantasy points. He should be a high in wide receiver to play next week against the Saints, and he'll most likely have all-pro shadow corner Marshawn Lattimore on him. The last two meetings against the Saints, Evans had only 7.2 and 10.4 fantasy points, which makes him a very risky play this week, even though he has been heating up during the second half of the season. Chris Godwin is someone who will be more appealing this week, Against Washington, Godwin caught 5 of his 12 targets for 79 yards and a touchdown, finishing with 18.9 fantasy points. Godwin has now scored a touchdown in 4 straight games, and with an easier cornerback match of Janoris Jenkins, he should be able to muster his way into the end zone again. Godwin should be a high end receiver too, who should be preferred over Mike Evans. Both receivers figure to see high target volume, but Evans' matchup versus Lattimore is just a killer. This leaves Antonio Brown, who had 3 targets and caught 2 of them for 49 yards and a touchdown, also adding on a 22 yard rush. Finishing up the game with 15.1 fantasy points. He definitely has the easiest matchup with PJ Williams or Ken Crawley, who both suck. Brown could be a sneaky borderline receiver to play against the Saints, who has tremendous upside. Like Godwin, Brown has also found the end zone in four straight games. The volume may not be as huge as Godwin Evans, but for a borderline receiver to, Brown should be able to deliver this week and be a boom play. Expect some nice results. For the Titans, Gronk dropped the goose egg and makes for a risky play against New Orleans this week and he'll be extremely touched on the pennant. Cameron Bray ended up having a very good game for him, finishing with four catches on six targets for 80 yards for 12 fantasy points. But again, he's also another risky play against New Orleans as well. We could see a Gronk takeover, or we could see no targets being delivered to the tight end position at all because of all the other offensive weapons Brady has. But I would play Tom Brady, Leonard Fournette for sure, and Antonio Brown this week in DFS. Baltimore Ravens at the Tennessee Titans. Titans gave L-Jack his first ever playoff win after going 0-2 in previous years and in fact losing to the Titans last year at home. I was betting on the Ravens winning and when Lamar threw that interception on the opening drive, I was like, "Oh shit, here we go again. And then the Titans just jumped to 10-0 by the end of the first and I just lost hope in Lamar Jackson. But of course... Lamar, you turned into Super Lamar, and you carried his entire team and responded with 20 unanswered points, and you can blame all that on the horrible Tennessee Titans defense. Of course, this game was basically a rival game as well. If you saw in Week 11 when the two teams played, the Titans were stomping on the Ravens logo during pregame warmups, and well, the Ravens got their revenge on them. Uh, When Marcus Peters intercepted Ryan Tannehill on the Titans' final drive to seal the deal, All the Ravens just flocked onto the Titans logo and gave it a big stomp. Karma is a biatch. What's up, biatch? Oh my god. All right, let's look at the performances here by the Tennessee Titans offensive players. Ryan Tannehill had a disappointing performance, considering he was playing lights out during the second half of the season. From weeks 11 to 17, Tannehill was the QB3, only behind Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers. Against the Ravens in week 11, Tannehill put up 24.5 fantasy points but in his wildcard meeting, he ended up only with 12.9 fantasy points, and he was a big bust for this week. He threw 26 times, completed 18 of them for 165 yards, for one passing touchdown, and one interception. That interception he threw, though, was one of the worst reads he has ever made in probably his entire career. He clearly had A.J. Brown wide open on what could have been a touchdown, and instead threw it into the middle of the field. His receiver not even turned around. As for next year... Well, Tannehill is still going to be listed as a lone QB1 to start the year, but I don't believe he'll meet those expectations. The Titans have a lot of key offensive players who are free agents this summer, and we'll get to those players. Running back Derek King Henry was just an absolute beast during the regular season. If you don't know, he rushed for over 2,000 yards, becoming the eighth NFL player to reach that feat. He was an RB3 in fantasy, and during the regular season, he had rushed for 200 yards, or he had rushed for over 200 yards three times. If you look at the RB one and RB two, who are Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook, they broke two hundred yards only once this season, and that was Dalvin Cook, by the way. So of course everyone had Henry in their DFS lineups. He was just too good, right? Remember last year when Henry rushed for one ninety-five yards on thirty carries and Steph on the living world out of Earl Thomas? It's that kind of stuff that you just can't avoid. Well, the Ravens. They absolutely had a solution for Derrick Henry, and they just collapsed him in the wild card, holding him to 40 yards on 18 carries. This was also the first time this season that Henry failed to have a single rush of double digit yards. Henry also had three catches for 11 yards, which brought his fantasy total to 8.1 points. But just to give you an idea of how good the Ravens' run defense was this game, Henry was previously averaging 5.4 yards per carry, and now the Ravens had just limited him to 2.2 yards per carry. And that is just insane. So Henry was definitely a huge bust this week, and he really cost a lot of people in DFS. But in 2021, Henry should once again be a top-tier option fantasy and be selected in the first round within the first six picks. The only really worrisome part about Henry is that he just simply gets no passing work, which I believe is just stupid. Wide receiver A.J. Brown had another great fantasy performance, bringing in six catches on 10 targets for 83 yards and a tutty, scoring 20.3 fantasy points. Of course, most of that production was within the first quarter, But Brown showed that he can definitely be a true receiver one in the NFL after putting up great numbers on all-pro Marlon Humphrey. I really like AJ Brown going to next year. His enormous size and his deep threat presence just accounts for so much fantasy production. And of Corey Davis being a free agent, Brown's role could increase even more in his Tennessee Titans offense. If Davis resigns with the Titans, Brown will be a low-end receiver one who should be taken within the third round or fourth round. But if Davis chooses to leave the Titans... Brown will definitely be a top 5 receiver option and will go probably in the second round. He'll probably soak up a huge chunk of the targets. This season, Brown accounted for 22.9% of the team targets, and I expect the number to probably even rise into the 30s if Davis leaves. And trust me, if I were to QB for the Titans, I would only be passing it to A.J. Brown. Other than Brown and Henry, the really only fantasy relevant players this year was Corey Davis and John Smith. Both Davis and Smith did not show up against the Ravens, Corey Davis had zero catches, and Jonathan Smith only had one catch for eight yards. Don't get me wrong though, Corey Davis, he had himself a wonderful year, he almost had 1,000 receiving yards, and was 100% playing the best football of his NFL career. Sadly, he also lost his brother during the season, and he had to face a lot of adversity. He'll also be a free agent this summer, so his fantasy outlook will kind of be dependent on which team he plays for. If he stays with the Titans, he'll be a high end receiver three, that will probably be taken within the eighth or ninth round. Jonathan Smith, well, he has always been a huge talent. He plays like a wide receiver, even though he's listed as a tight end. Earlier in the year, from weeks one to five, Smith was a tight end four. But then AJ Brown came back, and everything just came back to earth. And for the rest of the season, Smith was a tight end 23. I do not believe the Titans will actually resign uh, John Smith, And I think he really needs to go to a team that will utilize him to his full potential and just not use him as a blocking tight end, such as the Cardinals or the Panthers. If he goes to one of those teams, I think Jono will definitely be a top eight tight end in fantasy. As for the Titans' defense, well, they really need to rebuild their defense because they are horrible. They have the 28th overall pass defense, the 24th overall run defense, and they simply can't generate any pressure on the quarterback. They're 29th in sacks per game, and they have the 30th ranked pass rush. They have a 25% pressure rate. Setting Jadeveon Clowney and Vic Beasley to one-year deals just did not help their defense at all. Losing Gerald Casey and Logan Ryan in free agency definitely made his defense a whole lot worse. This team where they need to find some better D linemen and linebackers during the offseason, or else there would never be an option in fantasy. Lamar Jackson was balling out in this game. He obviously started out the game slow, and he had an interception, but afterwards, he ran for a 48-yard touchdown, the second longest rushing touchdown by a quarterback in NFL playoff history. And after that touchdown, the momentum just swung in the Ravens' favor, and Lamar was pretty much just a game manager at that point. Jackson's final stat line was that he completed 17 of his 24 attempts, for 479 yards, and a passing touchdown, while also rushing 16 times for 136 yards and a touchdown. He ended up with 28.6 fantasy points. I don't think the rushing stat line was any surprise to people since Lamar Jackson had been known to be one of the best rushers in the NFL. He's the only quarterback in NFL history to have back-to-back 1,000 rushing yard seasons, and he is a stud. For next week against the Bills, he'll be another top-tier fantasy option in what should be a shootout. I expect a lot of rushing volume as usual, and that just accounts to a whole lot of fantasy production. Running back J.K. Dobbins, the Ohio State rookie, continued his touchdown streak. He has now scored it in 7 straight games. His final stat line was 9 carries for 43 yards and touchdown. He also had 1 catch for negative 6 yards, bringing his final fantasy total to 10.7 fantasy points. Against the Bills, Dobbins will be another solid RB2 floor play. He may be getting only 9 of 12 carries, but he's finding the end zone consistently and getting about 4 yards per carry. The Bills are the 16th ranked run defense, so there's no need to be worried. Dobbins will find his way into the end zone somehow. Gus Edwards, you may think that he's another interesting option as well. He's basically the backup running back to Dobbins now since Mark Ingram's a healthy scratch. Against the Titans, Edwards only had 8 carries for 38 yards, so he had a similar amount of carries as uh, Dobbins. Uh, so for next week... I still don't think Edwards is someone you should be trying to target in uh, DFS, and even if you are going to play him, he's just a flex option at best, since Jackson's basically dominating all the carries, and you still have Dobbins in there. Wide receiver Marquis Hollywood-Brown has finally emerged from that hole that he was stuck in. From week 6-11, to 11, he was a receiver 92, and then from weeks 12-17, to 17, he was a receiver 13. Hollywood had another huge performance in a wildcard game as he caught seven of his nine targets for 109 yards and he also added on 19 yards rushing, finishing with 19.8 fantasy points. He'll most likely be shadowed next week by Davis White, one of the best shadows in the business, so there's some concern on if he'll be able to keep up his amazing production. He'll probably get the targets, but how much yardage will those targets equate to? He's a high-risk, high reward receiver too for this week. You're hoping he can pull away a deep touchdown in this one, And he definitely has a chance to, as he's ranked 7th in deep targets for wide receivers in the NFL. Other than Brown, you shouldn't be looking at any of the other wide receiving options, as the Bills actually rank 6th best against wideouts, and Marquise Brown also has a whopping 25.2% target ship. Mark Andrews had a pretty disappointing performance. The third-year tight end caught 4 of his targets for 41 yards, bringing in 8.1 fantasy points. The Titans were one of the easiest matchups for tight ends, So seeing Andrews not even break double-digit fantasy points was just very tough on many. But next week against the Bills, who are 28th against Titans, Mark Andrews will be a top-tier option again. With Tredavious White potentially locking down Hollywood Brown, lots of the targets should go towards Mark Andrews. Andrews has a 24.9% target share of this offense, so that should account for a whole lot of fantasy production, especially in this easy matchup. Let's look at the Chicago Bears at the New Orleans Saints. First ever game on Nickelodeon turned out to be a blast. There's slime cannons in the end zone, young Sheldon, hilarious commentary, and Spongebob appearing in goalposts when the football is kicked. This was actually the most watched wildcard game out of the six, and I don't think there's any surprise at that one. It's expected that the Saints were actually going to crush the Bears, and that's exactly what they did. The Bears, they sucked. They played 60 minutes of just sloppy football, The Bears only had 11 first downs compared to the Saints' 27 first downs. The Bears were 1-for-10 on third down conversions. There was a horrible drop in the end zone, punches thrown, and the F-word leaked during a penalty. Mitch Trubisky's future in Chicago may be over. He's not expected to be brought back, and he will be an unrestricted free agent. I don't think anyone started Trubisky either way in fantasy this week. He completed 19 out of his 29 attempts for 199 yards and a touchdown, and also ran for 10 yards, scoring 15 fantasy points. Trubisky, he'll never be a QB1 fantasy. He'll always just be a high-end streaming option, depending on the matchup. Running back David Montgomery finally was brought back down to earth with 31 yards on 12 carries. He only received one target in a passing game, which was a bit unorthodox for him. Montgomery had been a league winner during the fantasy playoffs, where he was facing some of the worst run defenses in the NFL like Houston, Minnesota, Green Bay, Jacksonville, and he ended up sneaking in as the RB4 to end the season. But of course, against an actual good run defense, he stunk. For next season, Montgomery's going to be a high in RB2, who's most likely going to be drafted in the 4th or 5th round, but he is someone who I think will not live up to those expectations. And that's because Tariq Cohen is coming back. If you guys forgot, Tariq Cohen, he was pretty much, I think, injured in week 2 or 3. Uh, with a season-ending ACL, and that's why Montgomery started getting so much volume. But that volume is going to go way down. Montgomery's most likely going to get overdrafted ahead of guys like Austin Eckler, Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift, just because of his finish this year. So I would avoid Montgomery in drafts unless you can snag him in the late 5th round or early 6th round. Wide receiver stud Allen Robinson, he had a mediocre performance, but of course he's going to get the targets every time. he got 7 targets in this one. Part of that performance was because of Marshawn Lattimore's coverage on him, but other part was just Matt Nagy. Robinson brought in six of those seven targets for 55 yards, so it didn't exactly kill your DFS lineups. Um, and Robinson, he will be an unrestricted free agent next year as well. And early signs are showing that he may not be able to re-sign for Chicago. Robinson says that he doesn't want to be on the franchise tag, which is what Chicago like, wants him to be on, and that he wants a big, big contract, which Chicago just couldn't. Uh, give him. I think Robinson will be a low-end receiver one next year, regardless of the team and he should definitely be drafted within the third or fourth round. If there's one lesson here we gotta take away, it's that if a talented receiver goes to a new team with good coaching staff, he's gonna do well and should exceed their ADP by a lot. A great example of that is Stefan Diggs or DeAndre Hopkins for this year. No Darnell Mooney meant Anthony Miller had to step into the receiver two role and he was horrible. Not only did he post a 4.4 fantasy point performance But he also got ejected from the game for punching C.J. Gardner-Johnson, and his future is in jeopardy as well. If you remember, back in the first meeting between these two teams, it was Javon Wims who got ejected for punching C.J. Gardner-Johnson. I don't actually know what C.J. Gardner-Johnson is saying to those Bears receivers, but I know that it has got to be extremely irritating to the point where they got to throw a haymaker to stop him. Speaking of Javon Wims, this guy needs to be cut from the Chicago Bears. He's got anger management issues and now also drop issues. For the first time in a couple years, Matt Nagy actually made a good play call, and Trubisky delivered a beautiful throw, only to have it dropped by Wims right in the end zone. It hit him right in the chest, he had his arms stretched out, and the ball just slipped right through. The tight ends in this one weren't really too involved for the Bears. Cole Komet had 4.6 fantasy points, and Jimmy Graham salvaged his fantasy day with an amazing one-handed OBJ-like catch for the very last play of the game, commit's gonna be someone interesting next year in fantasy drafts i think he's probably gonna last till the 12th or 13th round and he's definitely worth a sleeper pick and you can just sit him on your bench he's clearly taken over the number one tight end role in chicago from weeks one to nine commit only averaged 34 percent of the snaps and from week 10 on he averaged 85 percent of the snaps he was consistently getting around five targets during the seven week stretch and that's enough to account for fantasy production as a tight end jimmy graham should pretty much be a none factor next year and Komet could probably end up being a top 12 tight end if his target volume just remains the same. Darnell Mooney didn't play in this wildcard game due to injury, but you guys know that he's a stud rookie receiver out of Tulane, and he's definitely shown flashes over the course of the regular season. He's a star in the making. The Bears hit on him. He has deep threat capability, and he can have a potential breakout season next year. Currently, his ADP is projecting him to be a 10th or 11th round pick, but I have full confidence that he can exceed that ADP position and become a solid receiver 2 option fantasy with top 12 upside. He's someone who I'll be targeting drafts next year, and he'll be even more appealing if Allen Robinson decides to leave. The Bears DST, they're one of the most overrated defenses in fantasy football, and just probably in the NFL in general. I feel like they only show up against bad teams, and they just completely collapse against good teams. Of course, many of their key players like Akeem Hicks, Roquan Smith, Eddie Jackson, Jalen Johnson, they were injured over the course of the year, but still. This team, they definitely need another quality edge rusher to pair with their stud linebacker, Khalil Mack. Robert Quinn, he clearly isn't it. For the Saints, Drew Brees had a very solid performance, adding on to his future Hall of Fame resume. Threw for 39 times, completed 28 of them for 265 yards and two tutties. He ended up with 21.5 fantasy points. And next week against the Bucks, I'm looking at Brees as another top-tier quarterback option fantasy. The Bucks have been struggling over the second half of the season and ended up finishing as a 21st ranked pass defense. The Bucks have been allowing some great fantasy finishes for quarterbacks over the second half of the season. In week 11, Jared Goff finished as a QB3. The following week, Patrick Mahomes finished as a QB2. In week 15, Matt Ryan finished as a QB7. So Breeze is someone you should be locking in DFS lines with confidence, especially because this game is projected to be a shootout with an over-under of 51.5. Running back Alvin Kamara continued his amazing 2020 season with another strong fantasy performance, putting up 19.6 fantasy points. He rushed 23 times for 99 yards and a touchdown. It's really nice to see him get so much volume here. And also, he brought in his two targets for 17 yards. Against the Bucs next week, Kamara will be a top-tier option, as he always has. Kamara has done fairly well against the Bucs' fourth-ranked rush defense in their two regular season meetings. He's put up 23.7 points in the first meeting and 15.9 points in the second meeting. And with this game potentially being a shootout, Kamara should see plenty of passes from Breeze. and He's also going to see a lot of red zone touches. Kamara's matchup proof and you should be plugging him in DFS lineups with a lot of confidence. Latavius Murray did end up with a touchdown catch in this game, but he's not someone you should be looking at next week just because of his decreasing snap share and touches. He'll be a flex option at best will be extremely touched on the dependent. Looking at the wide receivers, Michael Thomas. He finally scores his first touchdown of the season. After being one of the biggest fantasy busts this year, Thomas delivered after coming off an ankle injury, catching 5 of 7 targets for 73 yards and the touchdown. Next week, he'll most likely be shadowed by Carlton Davis, who did limit him to 4.7 points and 2.1 points in their uh, two previous meetings. Thomas will be a mid-tier receiver one this week, and you're really hoping he also finds the end zone as well. Emmanuel Sanders wasn't a factor in this game. He only caught two passes for three yards. He has caught a touchdown in both meetings against the Bucks during regular season, and he could be a sneaky flex or receiver three play with tons of upside. He'll most likely get Sean Murphy bunting on him, which is a very positive matchup for Sanders. Deontay Harris emerged out of nowhere against the Bears, catching all seven of his targets for 83 yards, finishing with 15.1 fantasy points. Against Tampa Bay, He'll be a very risky flex play, but I think because of his cheap price, he's definitely worth plugging in your lineups. As for tight ends, Jared Cook is really the only option here, and Tampa Bay is a plus matchup for Titans as well. Against the Bears, Cook caught 4 of his 7 targets for 40 yards. I think because of the projected shootout here, Cook could potentially see 5 plus targets once again. And if you're looking for a cheap option tight end, Cook's a smart choice. And you definitely also have some touchdown upside here with Cook. We're finally at the last game of the Super Wild Card weekend slate. And then we'll get into the Packers and Chiefs and their fantasy implications. Obviously, the Packers and Chiefs had first-round buys since they were the number one seed in their conferences. Alright, the Cleveland Browns at the Pittsburgh Steelers. I still find it hard to believe that the Steelers were 11-0 at one point the season. This team went from making celebratory TikToks every week to then going 1-5 in their last six games. Of course, you know, everyone's talking about Juju, you know, saying he was a big part of those losses, you know, his dancing on the team's logos with his Corvette, Corvette dance. And then this week, just earlier this week before the Browns game, he once again made another huge verbal mistake and said during the week that... Nah, I think they're still the same Browns team I play every year. I think they're nameless, great faces. Um, yes, they have a couple of good players on their team, but at the end of the day, like... I mean, I don't know, like, it's the Browns, it's the Browns. Um, and that's just, like, one of those things that, you know, ASC North football, I and mean, they're a good team, but um, I'm just happy we're playing them again, you know, this, this Sunday. And guess what happened next? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> the Steelers lost to the Cleveland Browns. The Browns were up 28-0 on the Steelers in the first quarter. After the first play, I just lost all hope in the Steelers winning. Imagine talking all that trash to then be down 28 in their first quarter. Just imagine. The Browns snapped a 17-game losing streak at Heinz Field and won their first playoff game since 1994. What a week for Cleveland fans, man. After losing their head coach to COVID and not being able to practice the whole week, they just showed up in a big moment. Let's look at the Steelers here, though. As much of a horrible night Ben Roethlisberger had, he still put up some mind-boggling numbers And he even broke some records. Just ignore his four interceptions. He threw 68 times. 68 times. And completed 47 of them. He broke the record for most pass completions in a single game in NFL history. And those 47 attempts accounted for 501 passing yards and four touchdowns. Big Ben ended up with 41.1 fantasy points, having the biggest performance this week even though he had four interceptions big ben's playing career is definitely in jeopardy though the 38 year old hasn't really said anything about retirement and he did also mention that he wanted to play in 2021 earlier in the year if he does remain in pittsburgh next year ben will be a borderline qb1 that'll probably be taken within the 10th or 11th round running back james Conner ended his disappointing 2020 season with a nice performance of 17.7 fantasy points for those who took a risk on him in dfs that definitely paid off for you he rushed 11 times for 37 yards, but he had a rushing touchdown, and he also got five passes for 30 yards while also catching a two point conversion. Connor had a very up and down season. From weeks 1 to 8, he was the RB12. In week 9 against Dallas, one of the worst rush defenses in the NFL, he dropped four fantasy points. From weeks 9 to 15, Connor was the RB68. From weeks 1 to 8, Connor averaged 4.2 yards per carry. But then from weeks 9 to 15, Connor averaged 3.4 yards per carry. You could say that it was the injuries that were stopping Connor, but it was also the fact that the Steelers averaged 42.6 pass attempts per game, the most in the NFL. The Steelers, they just gave up on the run. They had a 17th ranked offensive line, and you could also say that that was a contributing factor to Connor's downfall this season. Connor will be a free agent this summer, and I don't think he's re-signing with Pittsburgh. He'll probably be a low in RB2 next year to start off, kind of in that Canyon Drake category. It's probably a volume play that's capped upside. He'll probably go in the 7th or 8th round. As for the wide receivers... Juju Corvette, Corvette Smith Schuster had a dominating performance, but it wasn't enough to make up for a statement about the Browns. He had 19 targets and caught 13 of them for 157 yards and a touchdown for 34.7 fantasy points. He definitely cashed them for many DFS players this week, such as me. Juju was the receiver 60 on the season, so he was still a pretty good fantasy option. He's healthy the whole year, didn't miss a game. The reason why Juju had not been as appealing of an option as he was to start the season was because of his yards per target, which was 5.8 yards. That's near the bottom for wide receivers. You can't really blame Juju, though, since his quarterback is a 38-year-old Big Ben who is getting the ball out of his hands so fast at 2.26 seconds, the fastest time in the league. Keep in mind that Juju also had to convert to a slot receiver this offseason because of the Chase Claypool signing. So that took some learning to do as well. Juju was kind of up and down, but mostly consistent this season, and I think Juju is still a really good football player, but he has really got to stop talking trash about other teams before games. Karma is a biatch. What's up biatch? Oh my god! For next season, Juju will also be a free agent as well. If he does resign Pittsburgh, he'll be a mid-to-low receiver too, who will see a tick in PPR leagues. If he signs with another team, he'll be a mid-tier receiver too, who does potentially have that top 12 upside. It's really going to depend on who the coaching staff is. Like I said, I'm just going to refer back to the Stefan Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins example. If you're a talented receiver and you go to a good team with some good coaches, you're going to be a fantasy stud. He should be drafted in the 5th to 6th round. Chase Claypool also ended his breakout rookie season on a very positive note and caught 5 of 7 targets for 59 yards and 2 touchdowns, finishing with 22.9 fantasy points. Going to next season, Claypool should be a mid-to-low end receiver too, with tremendous upside because of his deep threat presence. He's one of the best contested catchers in the league, and he's only a rookie, and I think he'll have an even bigger season next year. He should be drafted within the 6th to 7th round for sure. Claypool had this to say about the Browns afterwards, though. You know, a bad loss, but, um, Browns are gonna get clapped next week, so it's all good. Hopefully he doesn't jinx the Chiefs. Deontay Johnson also had a great game as well, catching 11 of his 16 targets for 117 yards, ending up with 22.7 fantasy points. Deontay was a breakout star this year, finishing as a receiver 21 despite missing 3 games, and I really like him going to next year. Injury has been an issue for Deontay, but if you look at the games where he has been 100%, he has seen double-digit targets in 11 out of 13 of them. He saw 144 targets here year during the regular season, ranking 6th in the league. Obviously, the drops were an issue for Johnson, as he had 11 drops this season, the most this season for wideouts but he seemed to figure it out toward the end of the season. Deontay should be a borderline receiver one next year because of his target volume, his deep threat ability, and his amazing route running. We could potentially see a Calvin Ridley type season from Deontay where he just explodes into a top tier receiver one in his third year. He's someone who I'm targeting in all drafts, and he should be definitely taken within the fourth or fifth round. If he is somehow in the sixth round, stop what you're doing and just draft him. This kid's going to be a stud next year. Titan Eric Ebron also ended his great season on a high note, catching seven of his 11 targets for 62 yards and touchdown finishing with 19.2 fantasy points. Ebron didn't really emerge as a great fantasy option until week 8, and from then on, he was a tight end 8. Next year, I don't expect Ebron to have as good of a season as he had this year, particularly because of the potential breakouts of Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. And if Juju also stays with Pittsburgh, that's not going to benefit Ebron either. He'll start next season as a low-end tight end 1, and he'll probably last until the 12th or 13th round. But I am not really excited about him. The Steelers defense was a dominant force this year, finishing as a DST 2 in fantasy. They're number one in sacks and interceptions, finishing as the number two ranked pass defense and 12th ranked rush defense. TJ Watt led the league in sacks and tackles for loss and is a defensive player of the year candidate. Of course, towards the end of the year, their defense wasn't as dominant. Losing stud linebackers Devin Bush and Bud Dupree did not help that defense at all. Pro Bowl quarterback Joe Hayden was also injured for a lot of the season and COVID-19 definitely affected a lot of the defensive players. Going into next season, but Dupree, Cameron Sutton, Mike Hilton, Tyson Alalu, and Marcus Allen will all be free agent. The Steelers definitely need to try to retain all these players or else they'll have a lot of offseason work to do to find better replacements. Their defense will definitely not be as dominant as they were this season if they lose those players in free agency. The Cleveland Browns had a heck of a performance. Obviously, they were boosted by that. Horrible snap at the beginning. They ended up resulting in touchdown for them. But their run game and pass game were on point throughout the whole game. Quarterback Baker Mayfield is making the case that he should and he is the franchise quarterback for Cleveland. He threw 34 times, completing 21 of them for 263 yards and three touchdowns, finishing the night with 25.5 fantasy points. We've all seen some signs of greatness in Mayfield this season from his performances against the Bengals in Week 7, the Titans Week 13, and the Ravens Week 14. The biggest issue coming into this season for Mayfield was his consistency issues, but he's clearly made a huge leap forward and silenced a lot of his haters after this game. Going into next week versus the Chiefs, Mayfield should be a solid QB1 just based on the shootout nature of this game, having an over-under 55.5 points. The Kansas City secondary is an average secondary, but they have been known to show up when the playoffs arrive, so there is some risk in deploying Mayfield in lineups, but you gotta take the volume upside here. Running back Nick Chubb continued his amazing season with 24.5 fantasy points. He rushed 18 times for 76 yards and caught 4 passes for 69 yards and a touchdown. Chubb has been dominant this season, and since coming off that knee injury sustained against Dallas, from weeks 10-17, to 17, he has been the RB5. Chubb will be a top-tier RB1 play against Kansas City, and he's bound to see a lot of work in the ground and through the air. Chubb has kind of taken Kareem Hunt's role as well as the pass-catching running back, and in a game where the Browns are projected to be playing from behind, we can see Chubb get 7-8 to eight targets from Mayfield checkdowns. Plug Chubb in your DFS lineups with confidence. Kareem Hunt also had a very nice performance, finishing up with 19.1 fantasy points. He rushed 8 times for 48 yards and 2 touchdowns, and also caught 1 pass for 13, uh, 13 yards. Hunt will be a low-end RB2 play next week against his former team, and definitely comes with some risks due to the fact that Nick Chubb has been stealing a whole lot of his workload. Wide receiver Jarvis Landry continued his dominant second half of the season with 20.2 fantasy points. He caught 5 of his 8 targets for 92 yards and a touchdown. From Weeks 12 to 17, Landry has been on fire, and he was a uh, receiver 12. Against Kansas City, he'll have a way tougher matchup versus Rashad Breland, who's allowed only 5.7 yards per target, the fourth lease in the NFL, and only 30 receptions, the eighth lease in the NFL. Lange will be a boom or bust low end receiver 2 slash high end receiver 3 this week, so there's tons of risk in playing him. Rashad Higgins has seven targets, but he'll only costs two of them for 28 yards. He should actually perform better than Landry against the Chiefs, as he has the easiest matchup with Trevaris Ward on him. Higgins is a deep threat receiver and a great route runner who can generate separation, and I have him as a mid-tier receiver three who has receiver two upside. Titan Austin Hooper has also slowly developed a chemistry of Mayfield and his four straight games now with double-digit fantasy points. He had 17.6 fantasy points against the Steelers, catching seven of his 11 targets for 46 yards and a touchdown. The Chiefs have been a plus matchup for Titans as of recently, and I don't think Landry or Higgins will be connecting on the deep ball a lot. So Hooper should be Mayfield's number one option again. Hooper will be a solid tight end one play this week. And he definitely has a chance of finding the end zone as well. Alright, let's quickly look over the Kansas City Chiefs options for fantasy this week. Patrick Mahomes is well rested. Of course, he's going to be a top tier option this week. Again, the Chiefs are throwing the third most pass attempts in the NFL. So there's no doubt about that one. Let's move on to the running backs here for the Chiefs. Clyde evers C H. C.E.H., He's probably not going to be playing this week, so it'll be up to Le'Veon Bell and Darrell Williams as the two fantasy options here. Both Bell and Williams are not running backs, I'm really looking forward to playing in DFS again. The Browns are the 8th worst matchup for running backs, but if I had to choose one out of the two, I would probably play Daryl Williams, just because when he has been playing, he's been pretty involved in the passing game. And Le'Veon Bell, he's just kind of washed up now. Tyreek Hill, he's questionable for hamstring, but... Of course, he's going to be a top play. Again, the Browns are the sixth best matchup for receivers. He's tired kill, man. Sammy Watkins, he's also questionable of a hamstring. And he's actually a fine flex or receiver three player for this week. I don't know why, but for some reason, Watkins has showed up during the playoffs. He's had at least 76 yards in all of his postseason games as a chief. And Mahomes, you know he's going to be throwing the ball like 39 times. And yeah, they can't get anything done on the run because his Browns' run defense is so good. So, Watkins... He should be able to receive a couple of targets. He'll probably end up with eight to nine targets, so that should definitely equate to some fancy production for sure. McCole Hardman Demarcus Robinson, they're basically dart throws for this week. Uh, Just dart throw flex plays. You're just going to hope that he connect on a deep throw or find the end zone. If I had to choose uh, one out of the two to play, I would probably choose McCole Hardman just because, you know, he's a speedster and he is a bigger deep threat than Demarcus Robinson, but still, I'm not playing either one of them. Travis Kelsey You got to play him, man. Pay up for him right now. He's the best tight end option with no doubt, as he has been for such a long time. There's a reason why he has been the tight end one for six seasons in fantasy. In fact, in case you don't know, Kelsey would have been the receiver four in fantasy this year if he was listed as a receiver. Of course, he's listed as a tight end, which is why he's such a cheat code. Kelsey is clearly matchup proof. And yeah, he's going to probably get like what, 20-plus fantasy points again for you? That's just production that's not there with any other tight end in, in fantasy football. Let's look at the Green Bay Packers offensive options for fantasy. Aaron Rodgers, this year's MVP, 48 passing touchdowns this season, so only five interceptions. He's listed as a top-tier option this week. However, he does come with some risk playing against the LA Rams, number one ranked pass defense in the NFL. And this game, it might be closer than most people think. I'm taking the under in this game. Uh, 45.5 rogers he does come with uh, some kind of touchdown floor i guess of like one to two touchdowns but it's possible that we could see some kind of performance like he had against the panthers where he only threw for uh one touchdown you know and he kind of salvaged that uh his performance that day with a rushing touchdown so we could see something like that um but regardless you know you can play him but i would definitely play uh, like you know lamar jackson josh allen patrick mahomes over him aaron jones Uh, He should be a top running back play, even though the Rams are the third hardest matchup for running backs. He should, again, receive most of the volume here. The risk is that the Packers find themselves down by a lot and then turn to Jamal Williams as a running back. Aaron Jones, he's probably not going to rush for over 100 yards since no running back has topped 100 yards this season against the Rams. But he should see uh, plenty of work in the passing game, and he could potentially find the end zone uh, as well. Devontae Adams, uh, he's going to be shadowed by Jalen Rams, too. So that's going to be a fun matchup uh, to watch. But again, he's still a top-tier play. Expect the Packers to try to move him around, find some advantageous matchups. Again, Adams' this game uh solely relies on his release. Um, and I think he's not probably he's probably not gonna get as good of a release uh if he's shadowed by Jalen Ramsey. So the Packers will definitely try to move him around. Probably not gonna get over like 30 points or whatever, but he should get around 18 to 24 points. Obviously he has a floor of basically double-digit targets. Devontae Adams, he's a top tier play still. MVS, Marcus Vale scantling he's a dart throw, receiver three flex play. And just really hoping that he can just connect on one deep ball touchdown. Alan Lazard, flex play at best. Again, Troy Hill, his... uh matchup. The cornerback is going to be guarding him. Has been very good, only allowing 8.7 yards per reception, which is second least in the NFL, and 5.9 yards per target, which is the fifth least in the NFL. A uh, tight end, Robert Tunyon. Again, the Rams are an average matchup for tight ends, but Tunyon has been very touched on the this season, and you probably don't want to play him this week in DFS just because of this over-under. I would play Travis Kelsey for sure over him and Mark Andrews. All right, y'all. That's all six Super Wildcard Weekend games recapped. All four divisional matchups previewed. Wow, I can't believe we made it to the end of the episode. Before I end the episode, I'm going to give you guys my picks for this week's divisional matchups. First game, Browns, Chiefs. Taking the Chiefs here. Bills, Ravens. Taking the Bills here. Rams, Packers. Taking the Packers. At Lambeau, man. It's at Lambeau Field. And Bucks, Saints. I'm going to take the Saints here, man. Sorry, Tom Brady. Sorry, Tom Brady.